When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 11, Part 2 of the Tracy Nielsen Case, Ace of Spades, Oklahoma Deck. I'm Laura Jennings. And I'm Jennifer Jubasak. If you haven't listened to Part 1, please go back and listen to the previous episode now. In this episode... We're going to look into possible suspects and evidence left behind at the crime scene and also evidence missing from the crime scene. Tragically, Tracy Nielsen was killed on her 21st birthday. If you recall, we mentioned earlier that Tracy had a lunch scheduled that day with her sorority sister. As it turns out, her sorority sister canceled, which according to those close to Tracy was weird, really weird. Here's the deal. We're not going to carelessly mention names and ruin someone's life because we have a podcast and a theory. And to be honest, Tracy's family wanted this person's identity protected as well. Jeff and the entire Waterfield family are extremely gracious people who want to know who killed Tracy, but not at the risk of ruining a possibly innocent person's life. But this is worth mentioning and exploring further. So here we go. Help us deal justice for Tracy Nielsen. People just wanted to be a part of her life. And so there were even times in high school, I know, that she would get a little bit tired of all the attention. And so she was an avid reader. She loved to read. And I always thought that she would get a book and almost hide in that book sometimes to get away from everybody kind of clamoring around her all the time. There was a friend of hers that was supposed to show up to take her to birthday lunch and said that she forgot or overslept or something and never showed up. And so I always thought that was kind of odd. Tracy's sorority sister, who we will refer to as Mrs. X, was known to be a bit obsessive over her friendship with Tracy. Tracy was trying to balance life as a college student and newlywed while maintaining her friendships, But according to witnesses, it was never enough for Mrs. X. She called Tracy constantly. She was needy. She pressured Tracy for more time and attention. And it soon became obvious to those closest to Tracy. According to a reliable source, Tracy's wedding shower, unbeknownst to Tracy, fell on the same date as this friend's birthday. So on the day of Tracy's wedding shower, Miss X voiced her disappointment with Tracy to anyone who would listen saying Tracy didn't even tell her happy birthday and how could she be so selfish, etc., etc. Now, Tracy just got past it and was focused on getting married. But the obsessive behavior continued. 
Many of us have been there. We've all had a girlfriend who steps over the boundaries and wants more than we have to give, but this really seems over the top. On January 1st, 1981, Tracy's 21st birthday, she'd agreed to go to lunch with Mrs. X, but after Tracy's murder, when they questioned her about the lunch, Miss X said it never happened. Now, the reason for the lunch not happening is not clear. Some say Mrs. X told her she canceled it, and others say she told them she was running errands and lost track of time. Another person says she told them that her car broke down. Now, the thing that stands out is that collectively everyone raises an eyebrow that Mrs. X would cancel anything if it meant she got to see Tracy. We reached out to her to speak with us for this episode, and we have yet to hear back. Now, Tracy was not sexually assaulted, and there was no forced entry. And there is the coincidence of it being Tracy's birthday. Remember, Miss X was upset earlier that year that Tracy planned her wedding shower on her birthday. According to our sources, police did investigate Miss X by searching her home and interviewing her years later. But on the advice of her attorney, she refused to take a polygraph. Family and friends have their own speculations and haunting thoughts when asked about what they think happened or who's responsible for Tracy's murder. The fact that it was Tracy's birthday is a game changer as far as theories go for many. Tracy's friend Tina explains. It's just not a coincidence that it was her birthday. It's not a coincidence that it was just five months after her wedding. It's mm-hmm. not a coincidence that there was no robbery or sexual assault. It was just someone that was in her life that was obsessed with her and showed up and she rejected him. I just mm-hmm. believe that 100%. It's somebody that knew her, and I think it was someone in her social circle. I don't believe it was a stranger. I don't believe it was someone whose car broke down. I don't believe that it was someone who came and worked on her TV. I just really feel like if it was a strange man, she would have been sexually assaulted. I mean, why else would she be attacked, you know, by a strange man? So I just, because you know she didn't insult anybody or because she wasn't that type of person. I mean, she was friendly, kind. If someone was in trouble, she would certainly help them. So if they were going to assault her, to me, it would have to have been sexual assault. And as far as I know, there was no sexual assault. I just don't see any motive for a stranger. But I'm not a detective. I personally, for some reason, think when they went, they didn't go there to kill her. I think they went there to see her. And she re- she rejected them on some level, and they killed her. That's what I think. Tracy attracted everybody. She attracted men, women, girls, boys, friendships, on all kinds of relationships, you know. And girls, we, we wanted to be her friend. It, it was, we were not jealous of Tracy, but we wanted to be part of her life. You were just attracted to her that way. You just wanted to be a part of her life. So I think that that didn't end with the people that she grew up with. That continued when she went to college. People just wanted to be a part of her life. And so I just wonder when she went to college if that just didn't continue on. And then she moved. She left OSU, went to OU. And I just feel like there was someone in her life at OSU or in her social circle that when she left, they felt some sort of rejection or maybe a rejection beginning with the wedding. And then she moved and then she wasn't a big part of their life anymore. And I think maybe they showed up that day because they 
They were close enough to her that they knew where she lived and they knew it was her birthday. I just think there was some form of rejection and they they killed the person they loved. Here again is sorority sister Kathy. That gives me pause to think that someone was there who knew her. And I don't know how to how to make logic of that, but for it to be on her birthday that was that was one of the details that surprised everybody. It made it feel less random. Really, it would be a lot easier to think that it was someone that didn't know her and it was a random evil act. But the fact it was on her birthday, it was it was it was a shock. Even though they had no answers on who killed Tracy, life had to go on. Jeff went back to medical school. Tracy's sister, Cindy, went back to her freshman year at Oklahoma State University. She was following in Tracy's footsteps there and even became part of the same sorority. And just like Tracy, Cindy later returned home to Canadian Texas and got married. And believe it or not, Tracy even had a part in that. Tracy's friend, Tina, explains. Tracy and I decided that Cindy needed to date my brother, Craig. <laughs> so we decided we were going to set them up. So I remember doing that on the phone. You and, and Tracy we, decided that? Tracy and I decided that they needed to get together, that my brother needed to date her sister. And so we set them up and they went, they went together to prom. And now they're married. It's been 30 some years. They've been married 30 some odd years. So and they got, they were married after Tracy's death. So, which was, you know, bittersweet. Uh, yeah. But, but, but I do, I can claim that Tracy and I were the matchmakers in that pair. Cindy and Craig went on to have a beautiful family. And in a gesture to keep Tracy's legacy alive, Cindy named her daughter after the best big sister a girl could ask for. Named her Tracy after her. So, you know, and that's one thing. I just, I just don't want people to forget Tracy, my sister. That's one reason I do kind of keep talking about it and doing these things, just because I, I don't want them to forget her. Dr. Jeffrey Nielsen finished school and became an orthopedic surgeon. Med school was starting at the end of August 1980. At that point, I'm 22, and I actually went into practice at 31. Nine years later is when I start having a real job. I'm 62 years old now. There is life after tragedy. It's not like I've never smiled since or never laughed or never enjoyed a day, but it is forever changed. And you just accept that and you try to make the best of the rest of your life. I mean, that's all you can do. And as for Sandy, as any mom who's lost a child will tell you, there's no truly moving on. But because of her faith and her family and her community, she gets through one day at a time. I used to think if I could just walk out that, that front door and disappear, it would just be still take all this pain away. You know, I don't remember the first year, really. I've told people that before when they asked me stuff, and I said, I don't remember that much about the first year. And I had a friend here. She said, Sandy, you did everything you always did, and you smiled, and you went on. 
And I said, then why don't I remember? And she said, I don't know. You just, you just, we were all just amazed at, you know, how you did. And we went on a trip and my sister-in-law thought that would be the best thing for us. And I hated it. I did it because I'd be walking down the street somewhere overseas and you'd see a young girl coming towards you and you think, why wasn't it you? Why not? Why was it Tracy? Why are you? And I felt so bad about that. You know, you just feel like you can't, you couldn't wish that on somebody else, but why had it, do it have to be her? How is your community and the people around you in Canadian Texas, how has, how have they responded to this after Tracy? They have been a big source of strength and comfort, yes. And they still are. And even people that didn't know Tracy when she was here. I mean, your life is never, ever, ever the same. I mean, it, it took me quite a few years to get to where I could handle that. And Jim, too. And then you finally get to rising and look up. Everybody goes with similar things. And any death, death is still death. It takes them, takes them away. To me, as long as you have, and I didn't even think about this at the time, that it was my faith that was going to carry me through. Because, you know, we were younger then and pretty busy living our lives and being very busy. And you just don't understand how much your faith means and what it does for you. And it's kind of like somebody's asked me one day, I said, well, what would you think if they found them? And I said, I, I have no idea. No idea what I think. But I do know that it took many years to get to the point of I can forgive them because I started out with telling God, I can't, I cannot ever, but you can, so you do it for me. Please forgive them and then help me. And he did. And right now, for for me to find out who did it, it's not going to mean what it would have years ago. I don't know. I can't tell you how I feel. There's no way to know. It would be a relief to know in a way and yet an, another way not to. Everything changes through the years and and we, we are supposed to grow when we do. And I I am I really am grateful that God's gonna be taking care of it because he said, You don't have to worry. vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and that's true. And he'll do a whole bunch better job than I would have. I'm very relieved that that he has helped us through this. Years later, still no answers. Fortunately, DNA evidence was gathered back at the scene, an unidentified latent print. Remember at the time, technologies weren't as advanced as they are today. Jeff and his family helped OSBI convince state legislators in 1994 to pass a law to fund the state's first automated fingerprint identification systems, known as APHIS. My mother and father spent months working with the Oklahoma legislature to get funding for APHIS, for the automatic fingerprinting system. And you know, they've, they've got a plaque dedicating APHIS to Tracy. I am Brooke Arbeitman, and I'm the public information officer at the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. Tracy has left a legacy, uh, a very positive legacy on the state of Oklahoma, because one of the things that was left behind in her apartment was a latent print. And as a result of not being able to identify that latent print, years later, in 1994, the state of Oklahoma, through legislation with the legislature and through support of her family, 
we were able to acquire an automated fingerprint identification system, which we did not have previously. In 2015, 34 years after Tracy's murder, OSBI held a series of news conferences to talk about the new evidence they were releasing to the public for the first time in hopes to get answers. The first one was on the anniversary of Tracy's death, January 5th. I want to remind you that it was on January the 5th of this year uh, that we had a press conference in this very room. And at that time, we introduced a crucial piece of evidence in hopes that the public could help us in identifying uh, that, that piece of evidence. With the public's help, uh, a cable ticket repair book with employee initials and an employee number was identified as coming from a Southwestern Bell um, uh, worker. Since that time, agents have interviewed numerous retired Southwestern Bell employees of, about this and have learned how numbers were assigned to workers in different regions and, and different departments. However, at this point, no records of that particular employee uh, who used that ticket book on that day has been located. During that press conference six months ago, we offered up to an $11,000 reward for information on this case. That money came from Tracy's family, it came from the Waterfield family, and also from the Moore Police Department Crime uh, Stoppers Program, as well as the OSBI. Today, that same group, with the addition of Tracy's husband at the time for murder, Dr. Jeff Nielsen, is offering up to a combined $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Tracy's killer. Um, additionally, in 2015, we released a sketch of a keychain that was Tracy's that was missing from her apartment. Sadly, to this day, Tracy's case is still cold. We have tracked down dozens and dozens of leads over the years. But at this point in time, we're still looking for that little bit of information that can point us in the right direction of the person responsible for her murder. A news report this past January reveals OSBI is not giving up, and they're hoping new technologies and DNA will bring them answers sooner than later. I hope that by January 5th of 2022, we have identified a suspect in this case. I'm sure that would be an enormous relief to Tracy's family and loved ones and friends who all miss her dearly. We're never going to stop. We're going to find out who did this. Nothing can bring Tracy back. Family and friends continue to pray they'll find answers and offer forgiveness to whoever is responsible for killing Tracy, whether they ask for it or not. Tracy's college friend, Ricky. You know, this whole murder still haunts me. Tracy, Tracy was sweet. She was innocent and she was very trusting. I can just see how if someone had come to her door and knocked and asked for help, she probably would have just invited them in to use her phone. And, and I could also understand how someone might have just seen her out running errands and thought she was beautiful and followed her home. But I just have a hard time thinking that a random person would commit such a violent crime. There was no forced entry, no struggle, nothing was really stolen other than a keychain. She wasn't sexually assaulted. I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, there's someone out there that's crazy and cruel enough to commit such a crime. Here's Tina again, Tracy's friend since they were young. I just could not figure out why they didn't know who did it, who did that to her. Then there were all kinds of rumors, all kinds of speculation. You just hear everything. Everyone wants to see this solved. 
If you say Tracy, everybody knows who you're talking about. But sisters are such a special relationship. And so Cindy's missed out on that relationship. It's just tragic for her. I would just hope that they would consider coming forward for her mother and for her sister and for her brother. They deserve to know what happened. They deserve to know, to have a little bit of peace, knowing a little bit of closure, if there ever is any closure. They've suffered tragedy for 40 years. I think that whoever did it owes it to Tracy to come forward because at some point I believe they had a relationship, whether it was a friendship or what our social relationship. And I think they owe it to Tracy to come forward and tell that they did it, to own up to it so that they can be um, forgiven. Here again is sorority sister Kathy. It's literally been 40 years that she is She's still in the forefront of my mind, and she was a really good friend, and it was surreal that they could not, that the OSBI could not put it together and figure out what happened with Tracy. Really, my heart is with Cindy and her family because they are the ones who have had that cross to bear all these years of the questions and not knowing. It really is different when something is so violent and evil as opposed to an accident. Their life is cut short, but for something like this to happen and for such a dear person to have their life cut short and then not have accountability, it's just a, it's a tragedy. It really is. But I'm, I'm not going to speculate as far as what could have happened. It's a tragedy if it was someone who knew her. And it's a tragedy if it wasn't someone who knew her. Above all, Tracy has meant so much to so many people. And it's, it's all about honoring her and that sweet family from Canadian Texas. Here again is Tracy's college friend, Ricky. The unknown is what kills you. It would be wonderful if they could solve this. I think this family would be very forgiving. I think what they want to know is, is just closure. And they're, they're a very, I, I think that they rely on their religion a lot. And I think Jeff does too. So I think he would be forgiving also. I think just the closure is, is more important than anything. Tracy's family relies on their faith to get them through this immense loss. Again, here's Tracy's sister, Cindy. I just really want to emphasize just how important it is to have Jesus walking with you through something like this. I have no idea how people get through these things without Him. And I just want to encourage people, if you haven't accepted Him as your Savior, to do it because he will get you through it. He will give you the peace you need and because we know we're going to see Tracy again in heaven and that gives you so much peace and so much hope and you know we know this isn't all there is so we're really comforted by that. My wife was taken away. Oh love, everything that we think of, that we're happy to have each day. 
when we wake up. I lost it all. We often ask friends and family to send us a quote or a song or a saying or something that makes them think of their loved one. This was sent to us by one of Tracy's friends, and it sounds like it's perfectly fitting. There's a popular quote by Maya Angelou that sums up Tracy's impact on others during her short 21 years here on Earth. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Rest in peace, Tracy Nielsen. You certainly made everyone you knew feel special. Thanks, you guys, for listening. This case, Tracy Nielsen, just through her friends and family, you could literally feel her warmth. She was just one of these people that lived such a good and protected life, and she really took care of herself. And so wholesome and so loved by everyone that it's so hard to fathom someone wanting to harm her. Absolutely. And, and you know, to think that there she was, that anybody says... If somebody was to knock on the door and say, can I use the phone? She would have said, sure, come on in. Like, And that's just so sad to think that if it was a stranger, that somebody took advantage of, you know, this sweet, innocent person that was probably just trying to be kind and, and let somebody in. And she ended up paying for that with her life. Exactly. And, you know, just every single person, everyone that we talked to just said that about her. She was just so trusting and didn't fathom that evilness like this could exist in anyone. Yeah, I can't imagine coming home to what Jeff had to come home to. I mean, on her birthday, I mean, her 21st birthday and to have the lobsters sitting out to know that she went to the grocery store. And that's always so hard to me to think about that. There she was that morning planning for the rest of her life, but planning for dinner tonight, which she didn't even get to enjoy. Imagine him coming home and expecting to see your beautiful wife and you've got this gift for her on her birthday and you're expecting dinner. And then instead you find that tragic scene and speaking with Jeff, you can tell that that will never leave him. That sticks with him on a daily basis. And I really appreciate him and all the family and friends speaking out on her behalf. It must have been painful asking him some of those questions because you were essentially asking him to relive the worst day of his life. Absolutely. And you and I talk about why that that's important. And I think it is because people need to, they need to know what they took. And I think that it's important talking with parents. That's important because everybody starts as an innocent child and as a baby and everybody, you know, as a mom, somebody's always your baby. And so I think that that's, that's what's so important. It's tough to ask those questions, but I think it's absolutely important that people hear and know what's taken away when there's violence. You're, it's just a ripple effect. There's so many people that you harm. There's no playbook for when people go through these tragedies. And I don't know, you know, if we'll get to play it, but, you know, Jeff told you at one point that, um, you know, he just went right back to medical school, like didn't go through counseling and just you could hear the pain in his voice about, I didn't know what to do. So I did whatever I was supposed to think I was supposed to do. And I just thought that that was really powerful in a sense that um, the more people open up and talk about their steps and their experiences, as hard as it is, it's helping others who may go through that to understand what steps to take. This entire family kind of had that mentality. I first spoke with Cindy and reached out to her 
And let me tell you, you know, you and I know I have been trying to contact Cindy for probably a year now. So appreciative when I got to talk to Cindy. But this family is incredible. I personally, and I know you as well, we identify with the fact that they lean so heavily on their faith. They're beautiful people. I mean, I don't know that I could be like they are. Not a lot of bitterness there in any of them. It was very indicative of who they are to just put one foot in front of the other. Cindy talks about that her parents told her to go back to school. It's time to go back to school. You're not going to live. This isn't going to be the rest of your life. You're going to go live your life. And she talks about that they pushed her to just get right back up on there. The family went back to the community. They went back to the church. The community took care of them. They took care of each other. You know, it just was really is such a great example of how we're supposed to live. Yeah, really. And especially going through tragedy. Let's go ahead and just go through some of the suspects and scenarios because Just like with some other cases we've gone through, it's like one minute you feel one way and then another minute you feel a different way because there are so many scenarios. And as we know, there is a sorority sister, you know, we call her Mrs. X. I got goosebumps at times because even if there is any suspicions, the family is so compassionate and they don't want to even have any kind of thoughts that are wrong against somebody if they're innocent. But you can't help as a parent or as a family member for your brain to go down that path. And I think what's what's missing there is just there's some questions. There's some blanks that could be filled in that could maybe help them to draw those conclusions. On the other hand, Miss X may have felt like she gave that information. And I talked about that and not using that person's name simply because she could very well be the most innocent person in the world. And then she suspected of this. And, and I think she knows that there's those questions in out there. And that's probably hard enough. Let's say if she didn't do it. However, there's a lot of coincidences. I think it's amazing that the family didn't want to use her name because there is no proof. It's just speculation. And sometimes we can go on emotion and think, I'm speculating so much. I know behind a shadow of a doubt, you can convince yourself that this is it, that you'd be out naming this person. So I think that holds a lot of restraint. And I think deep down, they kind of just want answers to kind of clear her so they wouldn't have to think of that. Even Jeff said you kind of find this place where you live with the hurt and you live with the not knowing. And if they do find out, if it is somebody that knew her or whether it knew her or not, that's a new hurt to deal with. That's a new hurdle to get over. That's a new place that you have to start living. The fact that they really didn't want to use anybody's name and they really do hope. And that's what they said, that she is cleared because uh, they don't want to have to think about that somebody that knew Tracy would hurt her. And or like Tina had said, somebody that knew Tracy and loved her would kill her. Okay, so that is one suspect. So moving on, two of the neighbors said that they saw a random male in the neighborhood on that day. Now, that's hard. And then these two neighbors gave two descriptions. I mean, entirely different descriptions. But that happens when you're in the middle of a, you know, trauma. I may think I see one thing. They think they see something. And if you put the two together, maybe that's the reality of it. Mm, And maybe it could be somebody entirely wrong. So, you know, I mean, that's the scary part of that. So but let's say two neighbors did see somebody. But again, that's just saw them in the neighborhood, you know, out and about. Now, Tracy ran errands that day. She was at the grocery store. There are some people that say that she had been seen jumping somebody's car in the parking lot. So, you know, there's also that. Did somebody follow her home from the grocery store? Did they see this sweet 21-year-old girl 
and think, okay, I know I can get her to help me and then um, somehow get her in the apartment. Like a Ted Bundy, they kind of assess, is she willing to help me? Okay, she's willing to help me. Now I'm going to follow her and kill her. I mean, yes, if you think about it, I think people who do stuff like this are assessing those situations when they come across someone. And they seem to know who they can take advantage of. So that's one scenario. So somebody saw her out and about during her day and followed her home. Let's talk about this uh, ticket book. The repair ticket book that they did trace back to come back from South Bell or Southwestern Bell. Okay, so let's talk about that. They found this. The family, nobody knew about this until that second press conference. So they had no idea that this cable ticket had been left in the house that day. The police took this in as evidence. It had scribbled signature on it, an initial. It had the date. It had some random information on it. So what they're thinking is that this ticket book was stolen for someone to gain entry. They took the, the ticket book. Oh, to pretend to get, hi, I'm here to check your cable. Because Jeff did say they had cable. He doesn't recall needing service, but they did have cable. So they took this ticket book. It was never traced back. So they went to all the cable companies. They said, no, we had nobody that was out there to repair this. So they did check that. There was no one. So what they think, again, is that somebody stole that ticket book knowing full on. Now, this is the 80s. So knock, knock, knock. Hey, can I come in and check your cable? That happened. And everybody let them in. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to say, don't let the cable guy in. Let's set the stage. The ironing board and the iron was set up right inside the door. By the front door. Right. So she had to, if there wasn't a struggle at the door, I don't think. It doesn't seem to me there was a struggle at the door. No, you would have definitely knocked over that ironing board. And Jeff says, in looking at the crime scene photos, it looks like, you know, the apartment looked like it was definitely in order. So there was no struggle at the door, no signs of forced entry. So Tracy let somebody in that house. There was no signs of a struggle anywhere throughout that house. So, you know, did he say, I need to check the bedroom, the cable in the bedroom and get her in there? And then, you know, because there wasn't a struggle until they got her on the bed and um, had stabbed her. Because when Jeff walked in, he said the door was unlocked, which was not entirely uncommon for her. The door was unlocked. The iron was set up with the ironing board and the iron on top of it. The TV was on, which he would say she would iron and watch the TV. So none of this is unusual. He's calling her name, Tracy. She's not answering, which he's full on. He's got his, you know, birthday gift there. He walks in. He sees the lobster on the sink, continues to call her name. No answer. Walks through the house, sees her laying on the bed. And again, the fact that uh, Jeff was the prime suspect initially. Right. Yeah, I mean, you always suspect the husband closest to him, the person who found the body. But, he, I mean, he was completely cleared. But the family was adamant. They said from from the time they got there, they knew that, um, that Jeff had no part of it. They never suspected him. No. And even when the police went, went after him or kind of went in to, to do their job, they were really kind of like, you're wasting time. Jeff didn't do it. And then ultimately... Jeff, every part of his day was cleared and um, there was never anything that traced back to him. So he, after those initial time with the police was was cleared. I mean, it really, that cable ticket for me though, just goes back to like, it has, that just makes sense of how they would get in, why there would be no struggle, even if it was a stranger. Like that to me makes sense. Right. So then, like I said, that's the last, that's the last theory is that somebody random saw her, it could have been, 
Was it some sort of serial killer? Was it somebody who walked by and her door was unlocked and just took advantage of the opportunity? I don't know. That one doesn't sit right with me simply because if that would have happened, there would have been a little bit of, oh no, who's this coming? Just walking in the door. I definitely think that it was somebody who A, knew her and she said, oh, come on in. Her defenses were completely down. Or B, somebody used that cable ticket book to come in and she was completely blindsided. So, but then let's also talk about the fact that the keychain. Yeah, the keychain. Um, okay, so the one thing left at the crime scene was a latent um, fingerprint. So that was ran through APHIS. And, and again, kudos to Jeff's family. They were really got down to business and they were they were all such a tight family including Jeff's parents they love Tracy and so they were really affected by this and that's how they contributed and wanted to help is by pushing legislation and getting APHIS um, statewide so that was huge so the latent print was left and the police are they are working on something that's what um, it sounds like through the news conference that they're expecting something to come out of that so that is super exciting Um, And then the thing taken from the scene was Tracy had a keychain and it had her name on it. And it was a pretty, a pretty big size keychain. And that was missing. Now, to me, that's huge. That is either somebody taking that as a... Sometimes serial killers take mementos. Right. And a lot of times it's like bras or underwear or something like that. But it's just something. This is how sick that is. They take something from the crime scene or something from their victim and then they pull it out when they want to relive or feel that feeling again from killing the person. But the fact that it was something that was so personal to Tracy with her name on it, I don't know. Sometimes that makes me think that, think about that. It's, um, it feels personal. It was on her birthday. A keychain with her name on it was taken. It's all very personal. And, you know, we talked about a sorority sister, and I'm just putting this out there. If we say personal, there was other people that knew her. Like, could it have been someone that she dated in her past? Could it have been just somebody who had a crush on her back at school and never said anything? Like, when we say personal that way, too, like, it could be somebody that still knew her, but just not on the radar, as we've learned in some of these cases. There are people that pop out in some connection that they don't even know. You know, I think that what we take away from that is... Tracy's friends and family and Jeff, just beautiful people. I feel like we really got to know who Tracy was. And I think that this world is worse off without her in it. But what we do hope is that out of this, somebody comes forward with a lead. If you have anything, no matter how small, if a relationship has changed, if somebody told you something, if you have something, this family, I promise you, is ready to offer forgiveness and they really just want to know and find out answers. So if you do have something, please come forward. There is a reward from the Nielsen family. And that's amazing too for them to offer that reward. So if you have any information about Tracy's death, please contact the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation directly at 800-522-8017. Thank you for listening and we look forward to seeing you guys on our next and last episode of season one. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Healing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubisak and myself, Lori Jennings. 
Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE Special Agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victim stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends to subscribe and join us next week on Dealing Justice. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.